What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Sound Rundown. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Saturday, April 2nd. So today is the final four day. And then we've got the national championship coming up on Monday. Really excited for these final four games. It's about 11 a.m. Eastern time here. So we've got, I don't know, seven hours until the first game. Um, And I'm just probably going to be sitting on my couch just watching TV until that happens. So, yeah, that'll be fun. And it, today is also one of our interview days, so we're going to have an interview with Mike Duffy right in the middle of this episode, so be on the lookout for that in about, I don't know, I'd say about 20 minutes. It's a really cool interview. Um, Mike Duffy's an awesome guy, so yeah, definitely stay tuned. You're going to want to hear from him because he has a lot of a lot of advice and also a lot of sports knowledge that, that he talks about in that interview, so that'll be good there. Matt, how are you? I'm good. And yeah, definitely really cool. Uh, Mike is a, is a cool guy. We talk about kind of philosophy, happiness, that type of stuff. Um, but, but his whole profile was, you know, he's, he's a big finance guy. He's, 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 you know, he's really worked hard. So it was kind of cool to hear from him how he's kind of transitioned, you know, his career. Uh, but yeah, but I mean, obviously, you know, the NFL rule overtime rules changed, which was the kind of the biggest news this week. And so that's what we're going to start off with. And then as Aiden mentioned, kind of have the, the interviews kind of split and everything. That's a, that's how we want to try to do these interviews. Just so it kind of, you know, kind of breaks things up a little bit. You guys aren't listening to us talking for, you know, for an hour and a half straight, which would be really annoying. Um, and then kind of, we get, we get our own content here kind of to, to finish, to start things off and finish things off. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. We've got NHL after the interview. And we haven't talked about NHL really since the beginning of the season. So that'll be that'll be good to kind of catch up on that. Again, it's going to be kind of general stuff about the teams at the top of the league, which that's probably what you guys want to hear about, because I don't know if too many of you follow NHL uh, super, you know, super closely. So, yeah, that, that'll be that'll be that for the episode. But, yeah, starting off with NFL here. So, as Matt said, the owners voted Tuesday to change the playoff overtime rule. And they're going to allow both teams to have possession in overtime. But this is only for the playoffs. This is not for regular season. The regular season overtime rules will remain the same as they've always been with, you know, one team winning the coin toss and then having a chance to score. And then if that team scores first, then the other team doesn't get a chance to get the ball. So I and this was this was kind of a a problem that arose with the Bills and Chiefs game um, this past year where the Bills scored twice in the pet in the last minute and then didn't get a chance to have the ball in overtime. And then the chiefs went on scored in overtime and the bills were knocked out of the playoffs. And it was a sad, sad ending for them. And we actually talked about this a lot after that game. We actually, we, you know, we talked about if we think that the overtime rule should be changed, everything like that. And I was an advocate for, yes, the overtime rule should be changed, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that I said, I only want it for overtime or if it's only, I mean, I only want it for the playoffs. And if it's only for playoffs, then I wouldn't be mad about it. You know, like regular season, it doesn't, I mean, regular season matters, but it's not elimination games really. So here's my thoughts on it. I, I like it. Right. I mean, this is obviously as Hayden said, like, you know, we, one of the best football games of our entire lives was the chiefs and bills this past season, right. In the postseason, it was a divisional round playoff game. And like, you know, you, you we would have loved to see that game for the Super Bowl. Imagine if that game was a Super Bowl. Um, but that's kind of you know that's beside the point a little bit. The the big deal out of that game, as Hayden mentioned, was just the fact that like right, the Chiefs got the ball. First of all, there was what like twenty eight points scored in the last like minute and forty seconds of that game. So it's like if you're gonna go with that argument, 
both teams are going to score every time they get the ball, right? And so that's exactly what happened. The Chiefs get the ball first to start overtime. They go down the field. They score a touchdown. And then the Bills don't get a chance to, to, to score too. And so we're all like, yo, we need – you know, you, the, the other team needs a chance to at least score because – Otherwise, it's not, you know, it's, it's not going to make things fair. There was also a good, another good example was um, actually in the Super Bowl, uh, however many years ago, when the Patriots played the Falcons and the Falcons were up 28 to three, and then they lost the game. So they lost the game in overtime. That was actually the only Super Bowl to ever go to overtime as well. Um, but it was the same situation where like the game goes, goes to overtime tied. Tom, Tom Brady gets the ball and we all know what Tom Brady does when he gets the ball and, and you know, in clutch time, he scores a touchdown, right? So he scores a touchdown, the game's over. And so I think that kind of that game had a lot more significance and is something is one of those games that kind of gets forgotten because it was a little bit, you know, further along in the past when kind of like the the whole pat, you know, the 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 past happiness of the league and the and the offenses and the way they are now, just the the, the skill and talent and whatever wasn't as great but as we know like matt ryan won the mvp that, that year right they, they, the falcons had a great offense and, and obviously so did the patriots and they proved it and they won and they scored right and so but like if the falcons are able to get another possession in that game or the possessions are going to keep on going we could have easily seen the falcons win a super bowl right and we'd be talking about them completely different we'd be talking about matt ryan's career completely differently he is a first ballot hall of famer right if if, if he wins that super bowl so this has kind of impacted a lot of situations but my overall thought on it, because I was reading up on the rule, and I mean, unless I'm wrong, essentially what the rule implies is that, is that like the first the team that wins the coin toss will get the ball, or at least both teams will have a chance to get the ball. OK, so let's say the team that gets the ball first, they score a touchdown. Normally, the game would be over and the other team is all sad because they didn't get a chance to. OK, fine. So now the team that scores a touchdown, they have to play defense. The other team gets the ball. All right. Let's say the other team scores a touchdown. OK, cool. So it's seven, seven overtime. There's still however much time left. And then the team that originally scored the touchdown, so the first the team that scored the first touchdown, they get the ball back again after having been tied, you know, seven, seven in overtime. If that team scores a touchdown, and again, this is, I'm pretty sure in reading the rules, they're a little confusing, but I, from my understanding, the team that scored the first touchdown gets the ball back. And if they score another touchdown, then the game's over. So it's the exact same thing as, as the first rule. Now, obviously, right. You, there, there could be, there's likely to be three possessions instead of one. And the amount of things that can go differently and wrong and, and crazy things that can happen in in the span of three possessions as opposed to one is definitely greater. So I think to some extent, yes, we're making this a more fair opportunity uh, for both teams. And essentially, right, the team that plays defense the best, which is obviously kind of what, you know, defense wins championships, right? Like that will incentivize the teams to play defense more, or at least like, you know, there's more of a chance for, for you know, for a fourth down conversion that doesn't go right, right? Or, or a turnover or something. But like, I think at the end of the day, there's still something to complain about here. And so you kind of end up in this situation where, you know, okay, great. Both teams get a chance with the ball. And then the team that got a chance with the ball first can just win the game outright if they if both teams score the same amount of points on the first drive, right? So that's kind of where you're going back and forth about this. And you're like, sometimes this still might not end up being completely fair. Um, but but I think overall, it, it was it's a good change and it's one that's needed. Um, and to be honest, I mean, you know, the, the overtime period is only, is only 10 minutes too. So if you're thinking about the, the chance that, you know, obviously, right, offense is, is, a, is, you know, taking over football right now. But like the chance that you get three straight touchdowns on three straight possessions, obviously in a Bills-Chiefs game that we had this past season in the playoffs, 
that's probably a likely scenario for that game because we saw it in like the last minute of over of, of regulation and you know you give them 10 minutes they're going to score every drive right but in in most games the probability that you're going to get three touchdowns on three straight possessions is pretty small and so given that the time restriction over time as well as the kind of guaranteed possessions for both teams i do think that it'll end up making it making it more fair and so those times where you just get a touchdown and the game's over at the end of overtime you'll you'll be able to the other team will be able to get the ball and it, and although it may end up in a situation where you know both teams get the ball both teams score the team that originally got the ball first they go score again the game's over yeah it's basically the same problem that we ran into but at the same time there's just so much more likelihood of other things happening and and you know whatever can happen uh during that time that like we'll probably end up being in a situation where this will end up being more fair or at least kind of determine the true winner in a lot of these circumstances yeah, I think what you said towards the end there was really good in that this is going to allow a lot of other things to happen, such as like a pick six, like that could happen pretty easily as well. And that's 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 the other thing is like, I don't even what happens then. So like if if the if the first team scores and then the second team throws a pick six, well, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, that's obviously the end of the game there because the the, the second team didn't score Um, or yeah, I mean, like it. I think turnovers on the second drive in playoff overtime is are going to be like really crucial. Obviously you want to get a turnover all the time on defense, but um, it's, it's going to be one of those things where like, I mean, you're going to, you're also going to have four downs. Like that team is going to have all four downs to go for it. Um, you know, obviously they're not going to punt because they would lose the game in that case. So yeah, that's going to be an interesting situation because a lot of times you don't really see that, that situation until the very end of the game. If a team is losing by a lot, you know, like if, if a team is losing by three with three minutes left, they're going to punt the ball if they're deep in their own territory. But in overtime, we're going to, we're not going to see that. We're going to see teams have all four downs, which I think is going to be really interesting. It's going to, you know, bring, bring a lot more uh, into, into play here. Obviously I'm not an NFL coach and I'm not an expert in, in football. And so I don't know, like, you know, how, how it'll change the game and how like, you know, some coaches may uh, scheme their offense differently or if they will at all. But I think that's going to be a really big difference as well. Um, one thing, one, one other thing that I want to talk, wanted to talk about, I don't know, just the, just the fact that like this is going to appease people, I think. But at the same time, people are still going to get mad over it because it's like I, I think we're going to see very quick an example of both teams scoring, you know, in. I don't know, three minutes each. And then you've got four minutes left in the overtime period. And then the third team scores and then everybody gets mad because they're like, oh, well, you know, my team didn't didn't get a chance with 30 seconds left in the in the in overtime. And it's like, I think I think this is much better. And again, like Matt said, Matt definitely explained it well in, in the sense that those people that are that are arguing against any kind of like, you know, one one and done score situation even if it's after both teams have had a chance to have the ball you're not going to get over three possessions in in 10 minutes like that's that's a very uncommon thing to see in the nfl so i think that uh yeah matt did a good job of explaining like why people shouldn't still be mad over this um i'm i'm definitely in favor of this again i don't care that it's not in the regular season because regular season is 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 one of those you know, it's it's one of those things where like if you're ta- if you're taking it to overtime, then you deserve to have a 50-50 game in my opinion. You know, it's it's not like it, it's it's not like an elimination game where you can get screwed over like uh 
like the Bills did this this past playoffs. And I actually I saw Patrick Mahomes said something about it. He came out. Um, I, I mean, I guess he was probably asked this question because he was pretty much part. Of, he was part of the game that pretty much like caused this rule to happen uh, or this rule change to happen. But yeah, he said, I think he said in an interview, like you just got to find a way to win. Um, and I don't know if that's in favor. I, I think that's not in favor of this rule, which is kind of interesting because we, we talked about it last episode when we talked about the, you know, um, like right after the, the bills chiefs game in the playoffs, we talked about how he has been on both sides of it because he he was the one who got beaten in the playoffs by the Patriots in the AFC championship when Tom Brady went down and scored in, in one drive as per usual. He's probably done that like 50 times in his life. And yeah, but then Patrick Mahomes was on the other side of it. And, you know, they that's how they beat the Bills this year. So that's like that's that's a, a weird situation there. And I think that um, it's kind of interesting that Patrick Mahomes came out and said, well, you just got to find a way to win, which again, I think kind of sides on the, on the, or errors on the side of the playoff overtime rule, just saying the same and and staying the same as the regular season. So that's, that's kind of interesting there again, Patrick Mahomes. I feel like he's the, you know, if there is one guy that you would want to hear from about the rule, it's him because he's been on both sides of it. Um, He, you know, he's, he's felt the devastating loss and he's also felt the exhilarating winning side of it. So that's kind of interesting there. Matt, do you have anything else to say? Well, the, the last thing I wanted to add, and it's not really, I don't want to go too long on this, but I think is is the phenomenon of the tie. Um, obviously, in in the playoffs, they have to find some way to keep playing. I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, if there was to be a tie, like after the first 10 minutes is up and both teams have scored however many times or whatever, um, they would just play a second overtime period until, you know, until the game's over or someone scores a touchdown. But the, the, I think the cool thing is that we're still going to see tie. Well, actually, I don't know if it's cool or if it's not cool. I think it's, I like the fact that like you can actually just tie in a sport, but I don't know, like having it be a sport like football, like I feel like there should be a winner in in a game that requires so much physicality yeah. and, and effort and everything. it's like there should you should detout you have to determine a winner. College football, there's no ties in college football. You play until you know until until one team wins. So and, and it's so funny too because it just always ends up being some like it, 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 it like completely screws up all the stats. And like when you're talking about, you know, regular season wins and divisional wins when you're, you know, d- deciding who's going to be in the playoffs and stuff. And it's so funny because like a perfect example of that this year, it wasn't, it didn't have playoff implications, but um, there's that crazy stat out there about how you know, ever since Mike Tomlins took over as coach of the Steelers, he's had at least eight wins every single year. Right. And previously to this year, it was, you, you know, you can go eight and eight. So you have a 500 record, you win, you lose, you know, same amount of games, but like, you know, that you're still not below 500. So that was kind of the, the whole story there. And interestingly enough, the Steelers tied with the Lions that one game, you know, back in, I don't even know, November at some point or something. Um, and then still, even with the whole Ben Roethlisberger thing, they still finished eight and eight in the regular season and they had a tie. So they went eight, eight and one. And yeah. so like that kind of weird situation actually helped out, you know, Mike Tomlin because it's like, oh, that streak continues. Like, you know, he's still a great coach. Um, so, yeah. So I think that the, the whole tie aspect of this is still in play because clearly like, you know, if you're going to tie, that means that neither team has scored a touchdown, right? You either gone back and forth with field goals or neither team has scored a single point either way. Um, and so obviously in, in the playoffs, we've never had anything like that. And we probably will at some point, but I don't think it's going to affect things too much. It's just like, I don't know. I, th- I feel like nobody's really talking about that, but it's like, I feel like you shouldn't be able to tie in football, but it's just still going to be one of those quirky things with the NFL. Yeah. And last thing real quick, it's funny because, and I just realized this when you were talking about 
college football not having a tie ever. Um, it's it's really weird because like the the argument against the whole you know multiple overtimes rule in in the NFL is that like you don't want your guy you don't want these guys overworking themselves and you don't want them you know possibly to get injured or whatever. But like in college football. These guys are they're, they're, this isn't even their professional job like that. This this is not their job that they're doing. And yet you're basically putting them in danger of something that you're that you don't want to put professionals in danger of doing like that's that that's so counterintuitive, in my opinion. Th- these are kids in school. You know, they're a little bit underdeveloped than than um, NFL players. And yet you want to protect the NFL players more than you want to protect the college players like that makes that makes no no sense in my head again college is only you know from the 25 yard line but they're still I mean if they go into five or six overtimes they're still playing for four and a half hours right so it's like they're they're still the risk of injury is still there it's just you know it, it may be like a shorter field but that that doesn't make any difference it's still you, you know you're still playing football you're still hitting so yeah that I just noticed that and that's kind of I don't know that that seems very counter counterintuitive in my head but now let's move on to our interview. Alrighty, everybody. Today we have Mike Duffy as our interviewee. We are going to welcome him in by letting him kind of just, you know, introduce himself. He is the uh, he's a philanthropist and the author of five books on happiness and also the founder of the Happiness Hall of Fame homeless outreach program. That's just kind of a little introduction to him, but I'm going to let him kind of take the take the role here and introduce himself. So go ahead, Mike. Well, Hayden, it's been a pleasure to be invited on your show. I am a huge sports fan, so we're going to have fun. We're going to talk about who's in the Happiness Hall of Fame, uh, which I founded about a decade ago. Uh, and we're going to talk about some very fascinating stories that I've learned from some of the athletes that are in the hall, like Muhammad Ali, Hale Irwin, who's the 26th ranked golfer of all time, and sports psychologist, recent inductee into the hall, Dr. Kevin Elko, who's won 30 pro and college football championships. All righty, that, that sounds very juicy. So honestly, to, to get right into the interview, um, I just kind of want to ask you, you know, about the, the Happiness Hall of Fame and kind of how you see sports fit into the happiness hall of fame because i know as you just said you know there's a lot of athletes that that fit into that criteria there are a lot of other famous individuals that that aren't athletes that fit into your happiness hall of fame but i kind of want to see how you see sports um fitting into happiness so go ahead sure well sports are a great distraction right uh when you are no longer able to compete and sports are great when you're younger Uh, It gives you purpose, right? It helps you, you know, our bodies are machines. We need to make sure that we take care of them and exercise is one of the ways. Um, Also sports, if you're involved in them, provide camaraderie. You learn valuable life lessons, how to, uh, to treat people, you know, how to get along with people you disagree with, how to you know, put up with the fact that you're second string and there's somebody in front of you that's getting all of the glory. And what what do you do about that? Because that happens in work. So sports is a wonderful and has always been a part of human history. Yeah, that's that, that's a great point. And I mean, I, you know, I grew up playing sports, too. And that's that's definitely one of the ways that I kind of 
um, got away from the, you know, the other struggles of life and everything. So that's, that's definitely a great lesson that a lot of people can, can learn from sports. Um, just, I, I guess now just give some of your, you know, specific athletes and kind of what you see in them and why they are in the, in the happiness hall of fame, what qualities of these specific individuals that you're giving the names of now, um, you know, what's, what makes them part of the happiness hall of fame? Sure. So, you know, first of all, I started the Happiness Hall of Fame to recognize, celebrate, and encourage people and organizations that make other people happy. So in terms of sports people that are in the hall, uh, I've got Steph Curry, uh, Mr. October, Reggie Jackson, Serena Williams, Derek Jeter, uh, Christy Yamaguchi, the Golden State Warriors are in the hall. Uh, the San Francisco Giants, I'm making a movie. They opened up their stadium for me um, and have been a part of my homeless outreach. Um, San Francisco 49er, three-time Super Bowl winner, Brent Jones, Bubba Paris, that was uh, Joe Montana's left tackle, Jim Plunkett, uh, Lorenzo Neal, Jerry Rice, Mike Ditka, Roger Staubach, um, you know, and... I'd say one of the more interesting stories that I could bring to the table right now is to help people who suffer from panic attacks. So um, I inducted Hale uh, during the height of COVID. So I didn't get to meet him, but he called me. And I said, you know, Hale, I, I'm a public speaker. I go all around the world. I talk to people about how they can gain more success, happiness, and resilience in their life. So what is it, you know, I, I've watched your career, you know, one of the greatest golf films I've ever watched is War by the Shore, the 91 Ryder Cup. And in it, you're, you're battling against, um, you know, Bernhard Langer. It's down between you and him. You look like a field general out there, all composed. And whoever pulls this off is going to win it for the United States or win it for Europe. You looked completely unflappable like you always have throughout your extremely long career. You've won three U.S. Opens. You've got 45 or 46 PGA Tour wins. You did this as a senior, you know. How is it that in the face of great pressure, you never crumble? And he said, Mike, let me tell you a story. As a young man, I'm in my first U.S. Open, 1972. And I realize on the 17th hole, all of my dreams are about to come true if I can just keep it together. It was at that moment that my heart started beating out of my chest. I started to get woozy. I looked to the right, to the gallery, and there's hundreds of people. And I say to myself, I can't have my heart attack there. There's no room. So I look to the left, even more people. I'm going to be the first golfer to ever have a heart attack and collapse on the fairway. And a voice came into my head. And he said, Hale, I told you to finish what you start. Now get in there, son, and finish this off. And I put my head down. I said, okay, dad. And I went on to win a U.S. Open. Now, today we know that that was what it was having was a panic attack. So we can learn a lot of things that reach the pinnacle 
in these in these sports stories like like Hale did and continue to go on to win. So when you are facing, whether it's at your job or in a relationship, you need to have things that you can fall back on. You need to plan for peace. And that brings up Dr. Kevin Elko. Now, Dr. Kevin Elko is a sports psychologist. He was on, he was hired before the season with the Eagles the year they won the Super Bowl against Tom Brady. Now, who ever thought that the Eagles were going to win that? It's one of the greatest Super Bowls you could ever watch. If you haven't seen it, or if you need some excitement in your life, after this interview, go watch the rerun. It's unbelievable. It was all gas, no break. It was one of the most thrilling sports events you'll ever see. And what he brought to the fore for that team was saying that he's brought to other teams, which is, so what? Now what? Okay, so the other team just scored. You're down. So what? Now what are you going to do? You're going to go out there and you're going to score, which is what they did time after time after time. And he talks about planning for peace. What he means by that is, let's say you had to be on the East Coast at a certain day and a certain time, and you were leaving from the West Coast. And unfortunately, you had to make two connecting flights. Would you just say, okay, I'm going to leave that morning. I'm going to hope that those two connecting flights, there's no delays, and I'm going to get there even though my life depended on it? No. You would plan for peace. What do you do? You either leave the day before or two days before. That's how you make sure you get there. You have to have a plan B. You have to have a contingency plan because in life, you're going to get smacked in the mouth. You don't even see it coming. It's going to happen. All the best laid plans of mice and men go by the wayside. So knowing that, you've got to plan for peace. That's really good there. And, and I kind of see this this connection between, you know, planning for the future and, and kind of the future as, as, a, as a mode of, you know, kind of trapping this happiness and, and, and making it yours. Right. That's, mm-hmm. that's kind of what I'm getting from this, um, from, from these stories of yours and, and just great stories all around. I mean, I, you know, I, I didn't even know half of these things because again, I, you know, I've, I've only been a lot alive for so long, but um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, that, the the phenomenon of the future and 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 planning for the future and happiness that's that's really interesting do you have any like is is there a special connection between the future and happiness um or you know do you have any other kind of do you have any other aspects of happiness that are that are essential to it so never worry about the future have a plan for the future but that see the future elicits anxiety right? You can't have anxiety about the past because the past is ash. You can't go back and relive it, but the future can give you anxiety. So stay in the present, right? Uh, My happiness formula is P plus P equals H. Purpose plus progress equals happiness, which applies to sports. Sports figures are always trying to improve, whether it's their 40 time, whether it's their strength and conditioning drills, right? So you write down, and I did this exercise 12 years ago. We all have multiple purposes in life. You're going uh, to college right now. 
you would write down, be a great student. Uh, so that's one of the purposes. Over to the right, under the progress step, you would write, I'm going to study. I'm going to get A's on my tests, right? Maybe, you know, if you were doing sports, you would write down, be a great quarterback, action steps. Well, throw 100 passes a day, right? And you go down the list. You, you put relationship stuff in there. Be a good boyfriend, be a good husband, whatever it is right? The unexamined life, Hayden, is not a life worth living. But it doesn't mean that when we think about the future, we should worry about the future. If you take care of the present, you're going to be okay. And you stay out of trouble that way. Um, you know, look, I'm a New York Jets fan. <laughs> if you were to cut me open, I'm 99% scar tissue, Okay. I have thought about inducting the Jets into the Happiness Hall of Fame, and maybe one day I will. But for right now, I'm not, I'm not extending that offer, okay? Um, but I have to tell you, in all of the misery, they have, great, they have brought me joy. Do I worry about the upcoming season? No. And that's the other thing. If you've ever been to an amusement park, let's say at Disney, you would think that in Disneyland, you would have nothing but happy children who are smiling. But unfortunately, it's quite the opposite. You'll find a lot of crying children. And the reason is because they're disappointed. They had high expectations of what they were going to expect. And when they actually show up and they see a two hour line, they start to cry. As a Jet fan, I have zero expectations going into any season. So when I actually get a win, I can tell you that I am happier than most people. I am elevated. I am vibrating at such a high frequency, I can't even believe it. And when the game is over, and usually the games end with nothing but heartbreak, I leave it there. I don't bring those losses into my real life. I don't you know, leave the television because nobody in my house watches the Jets with me, and then walk out to my wife with a bad attitude. When she sees me, she doesn't know if they won or they, or they lost because I leave the past where it belongs, which is in the past. That's great there. I, you know, you brought up the Jets um, as your favorite team and my favorite team is actually the Patriots. And so when you brought up the Eagles winning that Super Bowl, it uh, hit a little too close to home, but that's <laughs> all right. <laughs> But, well, now you know what losing tastes like, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's exactly right. You know, my whole life, I've pretty much, I've grown up a Patriots fan, and and it's just been winning, winning, winning. And so when the Eagles won that Super Bowl, I uh, yeah, I couldn't really take it that well, but <laughs> it is what it is. Now, I think that I think all of our fans would agree that Tom Brady, uh, you know, at least seems like one of the one of the happiest guys there is. And so I'm I'm wondering if he is already in your hall in your happiness hall of fame or. Does he have some some chance to qualify for that? You know, it, it's funny. Uh, he's not in the hall, and uh, he has he has all the requisites of making so many people happy. Uh, so that that's definitely a consideration. And look, he's a good guy off the field. That's that's really what I look for as well. Like, for example, Draymond Green is in the hall, right? In the year that I brought him in, he led the league in fouls. But the first thing Draymond Green did when he got his second contract 
is he gave $3 million to his alma mater. That was his first thing that he did. So, you know, it, it's people like that who give back outside of the game that I'm looking for. Yeah, that reminds me of, you know, the, the Walter Payton Man of the Year award that the, mm -hmm. that the NFL gives out, um, you know, to, ever, to a player every year. And I think, I think it was, uh, it was, it was one of the Rams O-line. I forget. He, he retired this year, but they, he got it this year. He's um, a good and, dude. He's a very good dude. Yeah. 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 Rams O-lineman. Hello, Matt. Hey, Mike, how are you? Sorry, I'm a little bit late. I was getting home from work and got a lot of traffic here in Northern Virginia. So I apologize about that. Not a problem at all. Uh, Hayden was just saying what a big Jets fan you are. Ah, glad I'm not, honestly. <laughs> uh, that's for sure. <laughs> now, are you a Pats fan too? I'm actually a Packers fan. We we kind of have a whole split household of, of kind of fandom, uh, just kind of random. You know, we've been we've been sports fans, football fans, especially our whole lives. And honestly, I, I couldn't even tell you. My dad told me when I was like five years old, he's like, I guess you just always like the Packers colors or the logo or something. So ever since then, that's kind of been my story. Another great franchise. That's right. Yeah. Although it, it got a little hairy at the end of this year. Not sure if we we're going to bring back Aaron Rodgers or anything, but thankfully, uh, you know, still still holding on hope for next year. Have you been to a Packers game at their stadium yet? I've not been to one at their stadium. I've actually been to two in kind of around the region that I live in, uh, kind of, you know, the Richmond, Northern Virginia area. So I went to a Packers uh, Redskins game back when they were the Redskins a couple of years ago at FedEx Field. And then I actually just went to this past year. I went to the Ravens Packers game uh, at M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore and I actually worked for M&T Bank. So it was pretty kind of cool, uh, you know, little circle there. Nice, nice. Yeah, I look, I that's on my bucket list to to go to a Packers game. Um, I, I have friends that are Packers fans uh, and they, they just say it's just incomparable that the, yeah. the hometown crowd is is actually very generous with visiting fans uh, as opposed to other stadiums. Um, so I'm sure you're looking forward to that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I've, I've, I've definitely heard the same where you Packers fans are, are, I mean, classic kind of Midwest, right? You know, just nice people. And, and that's completely the opposite of what you expect with such a, you know, a tough game and football and everybody gets so crazy about their team. So it definitely is, you know, an environment that, that I would like to be in. So um, I don't want to interrupt, though, I definitely kind of, you know, just continue the conversation you guys were having. I'll jump in here with questions as I, uh, you know, kind of as I get to hear what's going on. So you guys definitely just continue what you were doing. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, we were, you know, we kind of just got done uh, answering a, a couple questions here, but I guess the, the next question I would have is Mike was talking about some of the, some of the teams slash players and, and athletes in his, in his happiness hall of fame here. And, you know, I I'm interested to see the, the connection between California and your happiness hall of fame, because you have a lot of California teams um, you know, you mentioned the the Golden State Warriors, the San Francisco 49ers, San Francisco, San Francisco Giants, I think you said in there as well. Yeah, the 49ers aren't in. Oh, the 49ers. Oh, oh, they're not. Oh, no, there, okay. there's definitely a connection with California teams because I live in California. Okay. So, so, so I have access to them. And uh, have you guys been to California yet? No. Nah. Nope. Well, ignore the hype. California's a great <laughs> place. Now, I saw on, on your website, 
one of your latest uh, podcasts had something about golf. Do you guys golf? Yeah, I, I, I play golf. Matt follows it religiously. So, okay. Yeah. So I came to golf late in life. My father was a great golfer and tried his entire life to get me to golf. And I just simply refused. And when COVID hit, I would go to Facebook and I would see all these smiling faces all around the world, my friends golfing. And I was like, oh, that's the one thing I can do. And I joined a country club. My daughter golfs. Uh, she joined her high school team. And I have to tell you, it's such an amazing, I don't have to tell you this, you know, it. it's such an amazing sport. I'm 54 years old. I can do this till I hit the grave, you know, and the camaraderie, the fun, the, the family, uh, top golf, you know, I, we went on a Disney cruise at Christmas. Um, it was our fourth Disney cruise with my, with, uh, you know, uh, some family and, and we went to top golf down in Florida and you had kids that were never golfed before, just having a big smile on their face. It's, it's just such a great sport. It's the new bowling. Yeah, for sure. And one thing I think that's crazy about, I mean, obviously, right. I follow golf a lot and I think the toughest, or I guess the, the most admirable thing about the, the, the best golfers in the world is how, they're able to overcome, you know, when you don't have a good shot or you don't play a good round or, or something like that, it's, there's nothing really to, there's no coach. There's no, there's no other teammates to kind of, you know, get everybody on the same page, you know, have, have some sort of, you know, kind of, kind of hoopla moment where, you know, everyone's, you know, kind of able to, to, to get back from what they were doing, but in golf and, and tennis, I think is like this too, where it's an individual sport. You have to be so locked in and focused and, and just able to forget the last second uh, of play. What have you able kind of ever experienced that in not only in just, you know, kind of people that you've, that you've worked with, but just what do you, I guess, what are your thoughts on kind of maintaining and, and even with, you know, happiness as a, as a philosophy, kind of how have you seen that uh, more, you know, manifested itself in, in just in whether it be golf or, or other sports, it's kind of the, the mentality that you need to kind of persevere through and just forget about the, the tough moments to really try your best and move on to the next thing. So what you're describing is resiliency. Mm, yeah. So, so, you know, at everybody's, there's a fork in everybody's life. You know, you can say for small things or big things, you can say, this situation has contaminated me. It has permanently damaged me. Or you can say, this thing happened for me. I am better and stronger as a result of it, right? So what you were talking about in golf or in tennis, you're going to have bad shots. You know, it's shocking when you watch the pros, you know, hit it off the tee in golf. I, I was just at the AT&T Pro-Am down in uh, Monterey, and, you know, to see these guys hit it off the tee and into the rough, you're like, what? I thought you were a pro. Like you can be the, the top guy and you can still have a blow up hole. You can have a blow up round and be, you know, top 100 ranked. And you just have to forget about it and move on. That's why I think that sports is such an important part of, of life itself. And to 
to, to have an outlet. That's why I think golf is, is so important because A, it's a social game. You know, I, for, for one of my um, books, I interviewed Dr. Daniel Gilbert from Harvard. He's got one of the most watched TED Talks. And he said, if given the choice between losing one's eyesight or losing one's friends, most people would choose to lose their friends. However, that would be a wrong choice because blind people are perfectly happy, but friendless people are not. So while golf is an individual game, it's, it's such a social game. What a lot of people are afraid of about golf is because it is time consuming and they don't wanna look stupid. But my first coach told me, Mike, this is what you have to get over. When you play golf with other people, they literally don't care what your score is. They only care about themselves. Now, when you're golfing with, with a good group, even strangers, what happens today is that they will compliment your good shots, even your mediocre shots. So they, oh, nice distance on that, even if it goes in the rough, right? You're getting constant compliments from people, whether you know them or you don't. Where else in life are you getting like compliments? And the greatest thing is to get a compliment like when you sunk a 20 foot putt, right? Or even a five foot putt, I'll, you know, I'll take any kind of compliment. And that's what golf brings you that a lot of people don't know it brings you. It makes it, it really does help you feel good about yourself in spite of the fact that you blow most of the shots. Yeah, it, it's it, golf really is a mental game and it's, you know, it, you can get down on yourself on, on certain occasions and then, you know, other occasions you can, you can become happy, but it's like golf is one of those things that, you know, after some of my rounds of golf, I've, I've thought about it for days and I'm just, you know, I, I get so, so down on myself about it because again, I'm like, I'm not, you know, I'm not a pro golfer by any means. I'm not even an amateur golfer by any means, you know, I just get out there and, and hack around. But yeah, I, I think that golf is like, is one of those sports. And I didn't even really think about it before coming into today about how golf really does fit into kind of that, um, you know, it, it does have a social aspect, but it is very individual as well. And so it's like, it's a good way to kind of practice maintaining happiness and, and, and kind of, you know, practice overcoming um, your your faults or, or anything that you, you know, have happened to you that isn't expected because golf is also, you know, a lot of, a lot of unexpected things happen in that game. So, yeah, I mean, Matt, if, if you have any more questions, you can go ahead and, and, and ask him. Yeah. And, and obviously a question, Matt, I, I want to talk to you about what you said, Hayden. Hayden, you need to reframe. Instead of you thinking about over a few days, how bad you did, I want you to think about how good you did. Look, I can right. tell you, I'm a terrible golfer. I don't care. But this is what happens. The day that I golf, I go to sleep with a smile on my face, thinking about that one shot that I really nailed. Like the joy that they, and instead of me mad at myself for three days, that one shot can last for three days. So it's all about reframing. I'm often hired to, to go to corporations and nonprofits and schools and talk about reframing. As human beings, we put ourselves down way too much and, and just reframe that golf experience. And instead of looking at, oh, 
Let me think about all the ways that I blew this up. Think about, oh, let me think about all the ways that I did really well. That's what you should do. And you'll love that. You, A, you'll become better at the sport. And B, you'll love yourself more. Who wants more of that? I do. There you go. We definitely, we definitely all do. Um, so I'm going to kind of switch gears a little bit. Maybe you guys have already talked about it uh, to some extent. And obviously, you know, kind of focusing on the, the sports aspect of the podcast here. Um, we noticed that a good bit of the members of your Happiness Hall of Fame are athletes and sports figures. Uh, and so, I, I, and obviously we, we now kind of just, societally and just how the world works sports figures athletes especially professional athletes um are are paid a ton a ton of money and so I think that just for you know for kind of people listening to this podcast are definitely not people who are professional athletes and, and people who are making you know a ton of money and I think that to some extent people just associate happiness with money and I think that's probably one of the biggest you know, going back for however long people, you know, just are kind of striving to attain happiness through making a lot of money. So I think that, you know, just kind of to correlate all those together, what, what are your thoughts on um, kind of, you know, ways that, that people can think about achieving true happiness that doesn't have to be through money? And I know that probably your, your philosophy on this is that money does not derive happiness. But so I think that kind of, you know, what are some strategies or, or ways that people can kind of maybe alter their thinking a little bit uh, when it comes to money not being the, the true source of happiness, but maybe other things or, or just kind of, you know, little, little, you know, happiness strives every day in life? First of all, it's a fabulous question. Um, money does not buy happiness, but you do need money to survive. So there's been countless story, uh, countless um, scientific research on the link between money and happiness. And basically, uh, the Princeton, the latest Princeton uh, scientific research on this is that if you can make $70,000 for a family of four in the United States, you'll be as happy as Warren Buffett. Right. So so, you know, let's take that and and put it in that context. Now, outside of that, I think really what your question was, is how can the average person increase their happiness on a daily basis? Um, And and I like the baby steps formula. Just compare yourself today to yourself yesterday. Are you making progress in your purpose and one of the purposes of your life? right? Don't compare yourself to, you know, flashy, big stars and Kim Kardashian. And, and, you know, that's the problem with social media is you're comparing yourself to the wrong people. And you don't know all the terrible things that are going on in their life because they're not showing that to you. They're just showing the mansion and the swimming pool, right? So what I'd like to talk about is making little success steps in your life. Now, how do you do that? Well, the first thing that you wanna do is you wanna forget about fear. And the acronym FEAR stands for false evidence appearing real. So one of the greatest courses I ever took in my life was an adult education course at Stanford University. And the name of the course was called Failure. And it was taught by a very elderly uh, Stanford psychologist who had come to Stanford in the late 50s from the Midwest and taught there exclusively all of those years. And we would meet for two hours once a week and the homework was very simple. We broke up into accountability groups, which is what I would encourage everybody to have. 
I have seven of them. I have an accountability partner in Iceland who I couldn't meet with today because he's on vacation in Italy. On Tuesday, it's my, my accountability partner is in Norway, right? And have goals for your life. Benjamin Franklin said that 1% of people are successful because only 1% of people write down their goals. A lot of people are too afraid to write down their goals because they're afraid of failure. They're afraid of not meeting them. So what we would do is break up into accountability groups of four. And we would say to each other, this week, I'm afraid of doing X. So next week, when I see you, I will have at least attempted to do X. The course, if I remember correctly, was eight weeks long. The course costs money. The parking at Stanford University is terrible. So you'd have to park very far away and you have to get there. You have to battle traffic on the way there. And unfortunately, what I found was that most people would show up the next week and be like, oh, I got too busy. I didn't even try it. Or uh, I thought about it and I just didn't do it. And, you know, I remember one lady, she's just like, I'm going to call my grandparents. She didn't even do that. Now, I, whatever I said I would do, I did it. And the next week when I showed up, I was still breathing. So I never failed and I didn't die at what I was trying to do every week. Whenever I see that word, I always look back, the word failure. And I think about the people that I was paired up with that sacrificed money and time and accountability. And I think, do they ever, do they ever have regret not going for it when they had the perfect excuse Whatever it was they tried to try, they could say to the person, I'm taking this crazy course called failure. And I, I know it's a lot to ask, but I, I would like to try this, you know? So this life, this beautiful life that's worth living, we only get one shot at, and we're not guaranteed tomorrow. So whatever it is that you have, whatever God put in your heart, as a desire. Don't be afraid to try and do it. That's awesome. I really love that advice. And I think that that's, it's one of those things. And that's kind of what I was going for in asking you the question is something that people can do on a daily basis, right? Is, is not, you know, we think about happiness or we think about money as being such a lifelong achievement that, you know, it's always going to be a struggle and there's so much to go. But yeah, I, that's what I always try to do is just Break it down, like you said, baby steps and, and, and day by day, what can you do? I think goal setting is a, is a big part of that. Um, so, yeah, I, I really love that. And I, I mean, I, I can't follow anything up with that, with that answer for you uh, that you gave right there. So I'm definitely going to hand over to Hayden now. All righty, Mike. Um, well, I want to know more about your Happiness Hall of Fame homeless outreach. And maybe this can kind of be, you know, a, a call to action for our, for our listeners, because you have, you know, you have this, this program posted as, as one of your, you know, your prized possessions, right? And so I want to know more about the outreach and just kind of tell us um, more about your, you know, philanthropy that you do. Sure. So I tell people to hang out with good people because good people makes you better. Mother Teresa had a profound impact on my life. And I know we all want to change the world. She said that if you want to change the world, 
help the person next to you. Don't worry about the big things, right? So when I started the hall about a decade ago, Mother Teresa, unfortunately, had passed. But I wanted to recognize her legacy. So I went to the internet, and I thought that, you know, the, the uh, program that she started, Mother Teresa's Missionaries of Charity, was just in India. I was shocked to find out that they had a convent in San Francisco. So I called them up and I said, hey, we would love you to come out to the Stanford University Faculty Club. We'd film you, you know, we're, we'd talk about the great things that you do in the community. And the mother superior said, anything that we do, we have to get permission from India. So I will call India and I'll call you back. I said, great. Three weeks go by and she calls me back and she says, we ran a background check on you and you passed. I was like, whew, <laughs> can you imagine being like, oh, you failed, get out. <laughs> and she said, we would love to come to the event, but unfortunately, we're not allowed to be photographed. You see, our motto is all for the poor. There's something that you need to know about us. We, we're not photographed because we don't want our individual contribution to overshadow the work of all of us around the world, all for the poor. We don't get to see our family, but once a decade, wow. all for the poor. We take a vow of poverty because our lives are all for the poor. But you can come up to our convent and you can give me the award as long as you don't photograph me. I said, great. So my daughter was nine years old at the time. I said, Kendall, you have to come up with me. You've got to meet these amazing women who devote their lives to help other people get happier. So we went up there and we got two dozen Kara's cupcakes, which are very expensive. It's like designer cupcakes. We go up there and I hand the cupcakes to the most appear and she opens them up. She goes, oh, these are so beautiful. Our friends on the street will love these. And she closes the box and she puts them away. Now, Matt and Hayden, there's going to be a time in both of your lives where a single word or a phrase will change the trajectory of your lives. When she said, our friends on the street, all of a sudden, the scales fell from my eyes. I stopped seeing people, homeless people, as people that were down and out, but as my friends. And now most days I go out and I pray with people right on the street. I give them money. I give them hope. I remember their names. Zig Ziglar said, the sweetest sound that anybody can hear is the sound of their own name. So I give hope to the hopeless. I'm the friend to the friendless where I live. So that's what the Happiness Hall of Fame homeless outreach. And my son loves to come out with me on the weekends. And we just want not a big organization. Now you can print out, because I, I have people email me all the time. You know, I went to your website, I downloaded it. And then what I do is I keep bags that I get from the dollar store and I put socks in there because homeless people need socks, number one, toothpaste, toothbrush. And you know, when I see somebody, I jump out and I hand it to them. So there is a movement that way. Um, and that's, that's what we do. And, and uh, it brings me great joy. 
And honestly, during COVID, you know, when, when nobody could see you, I could see my friends because they were always there. That's great. That's, that's, that's really inspiring, honestly. And again, you know, Matt and I, we used to go to, um, you know, we used to go to cities all the time when we were little, we used to go to Washington, DC and, and Philadelphia cities where there was a, you know, a, a high homeless population. And, and our mom always used to tell us, you know, she, she used to try to tell that to us in, in kid terms, because we were still young at the time. And yeah, it's, it's, it's really inspiring when you can look at a person who, again, a lot of people look at as, you know, lazy, or a lot of people look at as not, you know, go getters, but, but really those people, you know, a lot of those people don't have a choice. And so you have to really see them as friends before you can even really try to help them in any way, because, because again, yeah, you, your, your help isn't going to mean anything unless you really see them as equals. So that's, that's, that's a great philosophy, philosophy to have there, Mike. Um, Matt, do you have any more, any more questions to ask Mike here or? No, um, I, and we don't want to take up too much of your time and it's been amazing to have you on here. Uh, but, but definitely tell, tell people kind of, you know, just what the website is, if there's social media that they can follow just so that, you know, we can kind of, you know, get, get you some, get you some traction here as much as possible. Sure. So uh, if you'd like to visit the Happiness Hall of Fame, it's www.happinesshalloffame.com. If you want to learn about me, you can go to MikeDuffySpeaks.com. And all of my books are free if you're a Prime member on Amazon. There you go. All righty, Mo. It was great having you on, Mike. Um, we appreciate you coming on the show, taking some time out of your day to, to donate to us. Um, and yeah, we really appreciate having you on and uh, just, you know, say your farewell here to the audience. Well, Matt and Hayden, it's been a true pleasure. Anytime I get to talk sports, that's, that makes me truly happy. Um, and, and I want people to understand that they're the author of the story of the rest of their lives. So they need to make that story one of amazing purpose, outrageous giving, exciting adventure, love, pure joy, and amazing happiness. God bless you both. And have a wonderful day. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Thank you so much. All right. That was a such a great interview. I think it was it was it was it provides some perspective on life. Um, and it was so cool because Mike is, you know, obviously very generous with his time. He runs a nonprofit. He you know, he, he does so much in the community. And I think that, you know, the, the fact that he took the time to just, you know, talk to us for us, you know, low 20 kids who are just talking about sports every couple of days, you know, like, you know, it, it was really cool to get to meet Mike and, and obviously gracious for him spending his time uh, with us. So let's transition to the NHL. This is going to be kind of our last section uh, for, for, for today's podcast. And obviously, like I said, kind of splitting it up in a, in a good way that gives everybody kind of the content they deserve. We haven't talked about the uh, talk about hockey in general uh, really since the beginning of the season and kind of, I don't know. I mean, I, I wanted to get more NHL content in here. I'm not sure how many, you know, hardcore NHL fans we have out there, but I think that just, it, it kind of gets lost in the sauce a little bit because you have, you know, when the NHL season starts, first of all, it's the same time that the NBA season starts. It's also like right during kind of the, the middle of the football season. Yeah. Right. And so then you kind of transition out of football season and then March starts and it's March Madness, you know, so it's like all these other sports just building up on top of it and, and the NHL kind of gets lost. Um, and obviously with the NBA, like, you know, they have all these stars and there's, you know, drama going on, but the NHL just kind of, just kind of, you know, does its own thing. So we want to give it some shine here. Um, 
the only thing is not much has changed, right, in terms of the rankings and, and just kind of where teams are, who's going to, you know, be able to make runs and stuff. I think I think that's kind of what we're going to focus on here. Um, but, you know, just to kind of give a general overview, the Avalanche still have a seven-game lead uh, over the Wild in the Central Division, which we talked about the Avalanche to start the season, actually, and they had a, they had a pretty rough start, um, but but have just completely blown out the competition for pretty much the last six months, right? Um, and and they had, you know, they have a two-game lead over the Panthers on the other side of the league, so, like, their whole, you know, they're, they're probably going to win the President's, uh, President's Trophy this year. Um, and so, right, the Avalanche are, are pretty much, you unanimous favorites to to win the Stanley Cup or at least get to the final Stanley Cup finals. Um, and so we're kind of going to focus on the Avalanche here, but I think maybe just get into a, in a general overview as well. Um, but I'll ask Caden the question, where do we think the Avalanche is going to end up? Do we do we think that they can make the conference for the um, well conference finals, Stanley Cup finals? Do we think they can win the whole cup or, or kind of, you know, they, they've seen they've been a little bit underwhelming, uh, you know, performance wise when it comes to later getting, you know, getting far in the playoffs over the past couple of years. What, uh, you know, what's your outlook on, on where they'll end up? Yeah. So I think to start this conversation off, we have to look at the East and the West. The East is it's just like the NBA. The East and the NHL is so dominant compared to the West. Yes, the Avalanche are in the West and they have the best record in the whole league, even compared to any team in the East. But other than that, if you look at the Eastern standings, there's so many teams with 40 or more wins right now. And, you know, we're sitting just about, you know, three, four weeks out from the from the playoffs, I think. So it's I think it's four weeks out from the playoffs by now. Um, so, yeah, like we don't have much time until the playoffs. And there's so many teams in the East that have over 40 wins. And I think there's like maybe three in in the west that have 40 or more wins and again one of those team one of those teams is the avalanche who have 48 wins and then the next highest i think is the wild but yeah so like that so my thing with this is that the avalanche i don't think are going to have a tough time getting through teams in the west like that's because we've seen them you know we, we've seen them win against a lot of these teams um they have had some trouble i think against the flames and maybe the wild as well um i don't know i I forget their like season record against them. Again, I was I was trying to read up more on it, you know, this past week when I made this topic. But yeah, I think that the Avalanche they're they're not going to really have a tough time getting past teams in the West. Um, again, I guess I'm trying to say that I see them making it to the Stanley Cup this year, just because they they do have such you know that their their goaltenders he's been playing great all season. Um, they you know they just have a lot of star power on their team, and like Matt said, they they struggled a little bit towards the beginning of the season, but now, you know, they've, they've really found their way and they obviously have shown that they can, you know, that they can beat pretty much any team. It's just the, the one team that I think everybody is always scared about in NHL playoffs, especially recently is the lightning. Like if you think about it, the light, the lightning, whoever comes out of the East and whoever goes to the Stanley cup finals out of the East is going to have to go through probably one or two other really, really good East teams. So if you think about it, if you like, if the lightning come out of the East and you know, they're playing the avalanche in the Stanley cup finals, the lightning probably will have had to beat either the Panthers or the hurricanes or one of those teams that are at the top of their divisions in the, in the East. 
or they'll have to beat both of those teams. And it's just like, if dude, if you go through two series and beat both the Panthers and the Hurricanes, there's no reason why you shouldn't win another, a third Stanley, Stanley Cup in a row, right? So, um, but, or you could say that for, you know, if the Panthers make it through to the Stanley Cup finals and they beat both the Hurricanes and the Lightning or the Maple Leafs and the Lightning or whatever. there The, the fact that there's so many dominant teams in the East, and like I said, we see this in the, in the NBA, and I think a lot of people would agree that it's the same kind of dynamic in the NBA where – whatever team makes it out of the East is going to be like heavy favorites in the, in the, in the NBA and the NBA finals. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I wanted to take this conversation again. It's not really where I think the avalanche will win. I think the avalanche will not really have that tough, of, t- tough of a time coming into the playoffs. You know, they may get a little bit nervous because they do have so much pressure on their back during the playoffs. But um, I, again, I think it's just a matter of like, who they meet in the Stanley Cup finals, assuming they do get there. And I think they're going to have a really tough time because whoever comes out of the East is going to be really, really good. Yeah, I think from an, from the perspective of the Avalanche, I think, interestingly enough, their biggest competition is going to be the Wild. And obviously they're in the same same division. Um, but I, I think especially with the move, it was a low-key move, but the Wild acquiring Marc-Andre Fleury is, I think, really interesting because obviously, you know, right, he was he was a goalie for the Penguins all those years when they, they went back-to-back and I think, 2016, 2017 champions. Um, then, he, you know, he went to the Golden Knights and the Golden Knights in their first, their inaugural season went to the Stanley Cup Finals and they've been, you know, they've been a juggernaut ever since. And interestingly enough, too, once they traded Marc-Andre Fleury, they've kind of been a little bit, you know, mediocre, the, the Golden Knights have. So, this guy's just a winner. Like wherever he goes, his team is just good. And we've seen that kind of the wild are a good team to begin with, but trading for flurry, like they have a really legit shot now. And I think that, Towards the end of uh, Fleury's run in Pittsburgh, it was a little bit, it was almost like, because he played there for a while, people were kind of thinking, all right, he's a little bit washed, right? He, it, we're not sure if, he, you know, he's getting old, not sure if he can kind of, you know, keep up the same level of, of skill and talent and ability that he was able to prove in those, you know, in those runs that I think Pittsburgh won three, three Stanley Cups in like a, you know, six year period or something. So he was absolutely dominant during that phase and then kind of, you know, people were thinking, okay, you know, Pittsburgh going to move on from him. I don't think he's, you know, he's, he's probably not going to be uh, very great. And here we are sitting, you know, five years later, right after after that whole run with the Penguins, and and not only did he lead, you know, the, the Golden Knights to the to the Stanley Cup Finals in their first year, but he's kind of now on a wild team who is really poised to make a run. So I think that that's going to be the Avalanche's biggest competition, and obviously it'll be a little bit weird with the seedings and stuff, and we'll kind of see how this is going to work out, but. To be honest, like I think if they get through the wild in the West, that's going to be their biggest competition. Everyone else, yeah. they've they've been they've proven that they can win, and all the teams in Canada, as much you know, the Flames are kind of low key good, but not. They've never really made a playoff run. They had the one seed, I think, t- you know, three years ago maybe, and and lost in the first round. You know, so it's like, I think there's not as much. And Hayden made a great point, right? It's like it's it, there's just not as much competition in the West. So I think it's going to be between you know the top two teams in that division, the, the Avalanche and the, and the Wild, for who can kind of come out of the West. When it comes to the East, I mean, you know, right? Hayden mentioned it before. There's a there's a lot more competition, but and I've listened to you know I've read some articles. I've listened to to you know to analysts talk about this and stuff on ESPN and stuff. And it seems like pretty much everyone's saying that any of the eight teams that are in the playoffs from the East can win that, can win that, uh, yeah. that conference. So, because you think about, right, you know, obviously, right. You know, you, you have the, you have the hurricanes and, and you know, the Rangers are doing well. And then, you know, you, you, 
I mean, yeah, the Panthers and Lightning, like two Florida teams, who would have thought? Um, but, you know, who's going to count out Austin Matthews and the, and the Maple Leafs? Obviously, they had a they had a pretty uh, underwhelming end to the season last year. But, like, there's just so much talent, I think, on all these teams. And, the, right, I mentioned the Penguins. They're still alive, right? The, the, the Bruins, you can never count them out. So it's like all these teams that have a really legit shot to make the playoffs can also make a really deep run. We saw it happen last year with the Islanders, right? It was like who – like who would have thought they were they turned it on at the end of the regular season they ran through the playoffs and obviously you know obviously lost the lightning but i do think that you know speaking of the lightning hayden brings up a great point too where it's like they've gone back to back dude are you kidding me obviously one of them was you know was was the bubble championship and so we kind of refer to that as a you know kind of an asterisk season but they yeah. they went back to and they proved it last year they played the stars in the chant in the you know in the, in the in the stanley cup finals and kind of crushed them you know so it was like this like this 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 proving of you know hey we're here and we can do this and so i think kind of to to wrap things up for this topic at least it's it's really going to be interesting to see who can come out of the east and i think in terms of the way and so then i think and that's kind of i really echo hayden's point though is that like whoever comes out of the east be it the lightning be it the panthers you know anyone rangers even right like they're going to have to have run the gauntlet in order to make it to the conference to the oh, yeah. Stanley Cup Finals. Whereas a team like the Wild, a team like the Avalanche, maybe even one of the Canadian teams out of the West is able to is able to make it. They're just not going to have been used to playing the level of competition that the teams from the East are. And you could make the argument from the other side, being like, well, sure, yeah, the Western team, whoever comes out of the West, they won't have played as great competition, like wins wise, points wise. But you know, if if it's if there is more more easily able to run through the teams and, and kind of just you know win and fewer have to play fewer games, fewer overtime games, all that stuff, then you know by the time you reach the, reach the Stanley Cups, a team from the East who, who's who's run the gauntlet, sure they you know they've beaten better competition, but they probably had a harder time doing it. Whereas a team from the West might have had a little bit more rest, a little bit you know played less games, so they're coming in kind of with fresh fresh legs. But I, I I think that overall in that circumstance, we usually find out that like regardless of the competition you play. If you're in the Stanley Cup final, you're going to be playing your butt off no matter what. And I think that having the the better competition throughout the East is going to allow that conference to kind of really show its strength and I think probably produce, uh, you know, its 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 third straight champion. Maybe it is, maybe it's even Lightning. Can the Lightning three-peat? I think we're going to be talking that, about that a lot as we kind of get closer to the playoffs here. Um, starting about, you know, about, yeah, as Hayden, as, as Hayden mentioned, about three weeks here. So, uh, yeah, so it's definitely going to be interesting. Good, good that we, we kind of got, got an update on some. I got an update on some hockey real quick, um, but but yeah, I think that kind of the overall sense is like it's really anybody's game, uh, but that's kind of always how it is, which is I think the best part about the NHL is that you can really yeah, there's teams that are definitely better than others, but when a goaltender gets on a run, anybody can anybody can win it, which is which is I think awesome. Yeah, that's exactly right, and I I actually do enjoy this time of year. Again, March Madness is winding down. And that's sad because we all know that March Madness is, is one of our favorite things of the year. But yeah, this is also the, the time of year where I actually get to follow NBA and NHL. Like I always tell people that I don't follow either of those leagues until the playoffs happen. And then I start getting into it, um, which again, that's you know kind of my fault. But it's just so like, like I'd so much rather follow NFL towards the beginning of the NHL and NBA seasons. Nothing really matters that much. Um, and you could call me kind of like a fake sports fan for saying that, but I think that, yeah, I mean, yeah, like Matt said, the playoffs are, are where everybody is really trying their best. So that's, that's, that's the best, uh, best part of each sport that you're going to see there. So yeah, really excited to start talking more about NBA and more about NHL as, as the playoffs kind of creep up on us here, um, at the same time. 
So, yeah, that about wraps up our episode today. I hope you guys enjoyed Mike Duffy again. Big thanks for him or to him for coming out and, uh, you know, just giving us a chance and and kind of spending some time with us because that was it was really valuable. And we we do value his time very much um, because he's a public speaker and he has a lot of other things to do. Like, I'm pretty sure he had a TED talk, a TED talks that he did as well. So, um, yeah, he's he's all over the place, but he was very generous with his time to to come on with us for to for today. Um, if you guys enjoy this episode, be sure to share with your friends and family and be sure to, you know, give a subscribe on Apple or follow on Spotify, whichever platform that you're listening from. Um, yeah, we would really appreciate it. We're trying to kind of you know, we're trying to get some growth here. As you guys know, we're, we're starting to do more interviews. So we're trying to, trying to spread our, spread our wings here, um, you know, in the podcast community and, and trying to branch out in every way we can. So yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back on Tuesday with another episode. That'll probably, there won't be any interview in that episode. Um, but I think we'll have another interview for you either next Saturday or the, the Tuesday after that, which will be with a sports betting connoisseur, which I know Matt is really excited about because he'll be able to talk some sports betting with him too. I'll get in on that conversation too, but not as much probably. So yeah, be on the lookout for that. But on Tuesday, we'll probably just have our college basketball overview. We'll have our college basketball champion by then. So that'll be fun to talk about there. So thank you guys for listening today and we'll catch you guys on Tuesday. Mm -hmm.